There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Do you like that inflection in the yeah, words? Yeah, very enthusiastic. Greg and Colin. Yeah. Greg, last week we talked about volatility and you made a promise last week. We talked about using this phrase dollars to donuts. You said you were going to look it up. Yes. What did you find out? Well, dollars to donuts means just something that you're pretty sure about. It's almost a certainty. But the bigger question is, how do you spell donuts? <laughs> That's a good question. Because is there a Canadian and a U.S. version? I think in the U.S. they're spelled basically like do-nuts, D-O-N-U-T-S. Yeah. Whereas in Canada and the UK, we spell them D-O-U-G-H, donuts. Okay, well, that's interesting. That's interesting, but right. has nothing to do with what we're talking not about really. today. Not really, not really. <laughs> so we reviewed how volatility is measured and the current state, which, of course, there's lots of volatility that remains right now. But today we want to talk about habits. And the reason for that, Greg, is yes, we have volatility all around us, but what do you do about it? So we started a little book club within our group and we read Atomic Habits together. And this is a great book written by James Clear, a book that I had been wanting to read for a long time. I've heard about it for actually a few years now. And for Christmas this year, my wife gave me a copy as a gift. And I'm not sure if she was hinting at the fact that I needed to improve my habits or she was just giving it because she thought it was a good book. Who knows? Only she knows. But in our world, we tend to focus on things like goals, like we do financial plans for investors. We invest money in specific asset allocations based off of those plans to give the investor kind of the best potential outcome to reach those goals. But as soon as those plans are printed, Greg, I mean, they're kind of wrong. They're good until the ink dries. That's right. Because the only thing constant is change. And that's a quote from this ancient Greek philosopher, Heraclitus? Heraclitus? Oh, I don't Heraclitus? know. Sure. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that name, but <laughs> his quote literally is the only thing that is constant is change. So if change is constant, I guess we have to create habits that put us on the path towards success. And James Clear writes about this, and I'm going to quote him directly here. It's kind of a long quote, so bear with me, okay? Your outcomes are lagging measures of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. And you get what you repeat. It's interesting. It's an interesting way to look at it. When you look at it, a large portion of our daily activities are driven by automatic habits that are formed by repetition, essentially over the course of your whole life. When you think about you get out of bed and you have a shower, brush your teeth, whatever your particular routine is, it's a routine that you've been developing your whole life. And those are just automatic habits. Lots of the habits are healthy and productive habits that serve you well. Others are negative habits that actually work against you. We can all have ideas about what those might be in our own individual cases. But basically, you are what you repeatedly do. And so it benefits you to essentially understand how those 
habits are formed, how they work, and how to use them to create the best version of yourself you can be. So this book is really interesting because what it does is it shows how small adjustments can have a massive impact on your life. The term atomic habits basically refers to the fact that you can make small changes, atom-sized changes in behaviors, but if you do small changes repeatedly, they turn into large changes. And so what he talks about is that if you just make a 1% improvement in something that you do every day, over the course of the year, you will be doing that activity 37 times better. Yeah, it's pretty staggering when you think of it that way. That's right. You don't get there all at once. You just get there through small changes that you repeatedly do and turn into a habit. And the other thing that he talks about, and we'll get into this a little bit more, it's just this concept that definition of success to people. Usually success is defined as an end goal. Oh, I'm going to lose 25 pounds, or I'm going to read 30 books this year, whatever that end goal is, or I'm going to win a marathon. And the problem with that goal-driven behavior is that it actually ignores the process of how you actually get there. Many times I've, this is personal. We're not telling anybody. Airing a little personal laundry here, (laughs) but there's various times in my life where I'd like to lose some weight. So it's one thing to say, well, I'd like to lose 25 pounds or whatever, but that doesn't do anything until the processes of how you get there are defined and integrated into habits. I think there's a lot in this book for everyone who either has a new habit they'd like to form or a bad habit they'd like to get rid of. I lost 25 pounds last year. You did? Yeah. There's a couple of things that came out of that. Number one, it was I had set this goal and I followed a process to get there. And the process was very specific. It was like things like, I don't eat dessert. It's not, oh, I don't want dessert. It's I don't eat dessert. That was just a thing. So it was all kind of focused around like nutrition, just being eating better, being mindful of what you're eating and exercise. Now, Greg, I got to tell you, I hit the goal and I thought I would have this like euphoric state, like, wow, I hit the goal. I didn't. But what I did create were the habits that I've kept up. Exactly. So to be quite frank, I've put a little bit of that weight back on, but that's okay. I'm still much healthier than I was a year and a half ago. Exactly. And I have these new processes as you talk about. So it kind of drives my wife crazy sometimes, but I know what I eat and I know what I don't. And it's not like that saying, oh, I need to lose some weight. It's I don't eat dessert. It's a totally different thing. For sure. And it ties back to what you just said, where he talks about lagging indicators. And basically your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. So it's the eating habits that have to change and the weight will follow. Yeah, exactly. Now, how does that relate to finances though? Because we are a financial podcast. Well, we talk about this a lot. A lot of people will want to, I got to find the next great stock and make a million on it. And many people believe that wealth is created by making a shrewd investment in a up and coming new stock or new technology or something like that. And the fact is that most wealth is not created that way. Wealth is created either by entrepreneurs who start businesses and essentially put everything on the line for their businesses. But so they're creating wealth by creating a business or as the case for most of us mortals, we create wealth by saving, by having a saving and investment plan that will get us to ultimately, it's that process that's identified in the financial planning process that gets us to the end goal of wealth that allows us to retire or whatever. And so when you talk about certain habits, one of the critical habits that we'll talk about is 
regular savings. We've got some fantastic opportunities to invest money in tax-efficient vehicles like RSPs and tax-free savings accounts. And so how do we take advantage of those and use them to our advantage to, in the end, create the lifestyle that we want later in life? You create the habit of saving more, spending less, or both. But then the process is, or the system is like maybe an asset location system where, okay, you're saving more, but putting it in the right buckets, some being more tax efficient than others. And that helps add to that financial measure. Because one of the talking points from the book right at the beginning is, oh, wait, before we get into it, Greg, like, are we recommending this book to anybody? Absolutely. Yeah, I like think we're, everybody. Rec- we're recommending it to everybody. Yeah, you like, bet. Why wouldn't you read the book about creating better habits? Exactly. Right? But in the beginning of the book, some of the talking points were focusing on the overall system rather than a single goal is one of the deeper meanings behind the word atomic. So what you just talked about, like, yes, we do financial plans to sort of create a benchmark for people to work towards, but it's the creation of the system. It's the creation of the saving habits and the spending habits that are actually going to put that person either further ahead or further behind because the market's going to do what the market's going to do. And as we talked in our last episode, like on average, since 1957, the S&P 500 has done on average 10.5% per year, including 2021. It's not doing it right now. I think it's down about 17% from its high. But if you created your financial system based on the current state of the S&P 500, you could be in a lot of trouble. But if you create your system based on regular savings and investing strategies, during down markets and up markets and not worrying about it too much, you probably sleep a little better. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. So what are the three levels of change that they talk about, Greg? Well, they talk about outcome change, process change, and identity change. And so I think when you look at outcome change, as we've been talking about, it's not specifically a goal of, I want to be rich. I want to be thin and muscular. It's more of, I want to be a person who is healthy. I want to be in good shape, things like that. And process change, which is really critical. And it's one of the things that really struck me. He defines the difference between motion and action. And he says, when you're in motion, you're planning and strategizing and learning. And those are all good things, but they don't produce a result. Action, on the other hand, is the type of behavior that will deliver an outcome. And so I think that really struck me is that a lot of us do a lot of the planning but it's got to be followed up by implementation or action. I know we've followed Deming's model for years. That's the plan, do, check, act model. So yes, you definitely have to do planning, but you also have to do the do. You got to put it into place and then you've got to monitor your results. That's the check part. Yes. And if you're not getting the results that you wanted, well, you have to act and you have to make adjustments because we tend to view planning as like it's static. Somebody says, okay, I want... X amount of dollars by X age, but it's not static. It's fluid. It's all kinds of crap that happens in the world. Can I say crap on the air? Yeah, you can say that. It's not really the air, but it's a word. Like Dr. Johnny Fever got fired from WKRP in Cincinnati for using the word booger. That's true. Anyways. (laughs) Okay. So focusing on who you wish to become would be what I'm trying to get at. And that's the third part of that, the identity change, because what he talks about is If you're a person who's trying to lose weight by a process of healthy eating, then your identity is a healthy eater. Or if you want to be a person who reads 30 books a year, whatever it is, you want to become a reader. 
and that becomes your identity. And so you are a person who doesn't eat dessert. It's the same thing. It's like you're a healthy eater. And I think that's the whole identity part of focusing on who you wish to become. Hey, don't get me wrong. I love dessert. Of course. Like, who doesn't? Who doesn't like, <laughs> like a deep double chocolate brownie cake with ice cream or something like that? But I just make a mental decision that I don't eat it. Well, and it becomes a habit and your identity emerges out of those habits. It sounds so easy. It sounds easy and it's the hardest thing to do. Exactly. Right? Because how many times have you been around somebody that said, like you say, oh, I have to get into shape. Oh, I have to lose weight. Oh, I have to save more. Oh, I have to get ahead financially or some version of that. If that person, if they're talking about their finances, hasn't created those processes and systems to actually get ahead, and they're just saying, I want to get ahead, good luck to you. It's not going to work. And the same goes, as you mentioned, for weight or reading or whatever. And so James Clear breaks down habits into a feedback loop, essentially, that involves four steps. And this is four steps in the creation of any habit. And those four steps are cue, craving, response, and reward. Let's just talk about those for a little bit. Okay, you go, because I don't know where you're going with this. This is strictly just to identify, well, what is a cue? A cue for me, for bad habits, let's say, let's pick a bad habit that would be typical of my situation. After dinner, we clean up and do whatever we have to do, and then sit down in front of the television. And that is a cue for me. All of a sudden, I feel like snacking. I may have just eaten an hour before, but sitting down in front of the television, I associate with, oh, I could use a little snack right now. And of course, it's always like an apple and a banana, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe even something better. (laughs) Then that creates the craving, which is like, yeah, I could really use a couple of cookies or... Chips? Are you a chip person? I'm not so much. I'm, I'm more of a sweet sweets at night, but that creates the craving. The response, of course, is the whole activity of getting up and going and grabbing something to eat, and the reward is obvious. You feel better, even though when I think about it later, I might feel worse. But it's a habit that's ingrained, and it's all formed by that first cue of sitting down. Another one for me is in the morning, I get up and As soon as I'm finished feeding our dogs, which is a long process in my household because we have three dogs, I sit down and do the wordle. That's a good habit. What is this wordle? Like I hear about it all the time. You've never done a wordle? I've never done a wordle. I don't know what it is. Wow. Okay. (laughs) What is it? Wordle is just a once a day simple word game where you've got to guess a five letter word based on taking a guess and the program telling you if any of the letters you've chosen are right, and if they are right, whether in the right location in the word or the wrong location. Is it always five letters? It's always five letters, and you get six chances to find the word. Okay. It's a great little activity, and it's interesting and challenging, and it takes about a minute and a half to five minutes to get the word. You virtually will always, almost always get the word. Anyway, but it's a fun little activity. But again, in my case, the cue for that is after we've finished taking care of feeding the dogs, sit down and do a quick wordle. Cool. But any habit that you have, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, can be broken down into those four stages or four steps. Okay, so you got the four steps, but he writes about the four laws of behavior change. So I'm going to call them out and then let's go through them individually. So the first one is make it obvious is law number one. Law number two is make it attractive. Law number three is make it easy. And law number four is make it satisfying. So, Greg, what does he mean by make it obvious? 
what he talks about and make it obvious is linking a habit that you'd like to create or like to form to something else. And so he says the two most common cues, like we talked about, are time and location. As I mentioned in my case, the time for me to do my wordle is when I finish feeding the dogs in the morning. But then the key thing about when you make it obvious is you want to pair a new habit with a specific time and location. And he says one way to do it is to actually create a sentence that you either say out loud or write down on paper. But the formula is, I will do a specific behavior at a specific time in a specific location. And he also talks about things like habit stacking, where you pair a new habit with a current habit. And so the habit stacking formula, which is more like my situation, is after I current habit, after I feed the dogs, I will do the wordle. So this is something that you yourself have implemented when you talked about your strategy, your process of becoming healthier, and you're working out. So you do things like, as soon as you get up in the morning, you go downstairs for a workout. Ah, but it starts before that, Greg. It starts the night before where I put out the workout clothes so that I know as soon as I get up and enter the washroom, they're there staring at me. Exactly. And so it just becomes a thing. You just put them on and now that you got those on, you might as well go downstairs and do what you need to do. And so you've actually done a couple of the things. You've not only made it obvious, but you've made it easy. Making it easy is the third law of behavior change. Wait though. So I would say for, okay, people are like, but what the heck does that have to do with investing? One of the bad habits investors have is they tend to look at the market too often. And anybody with an Apple iPhone has access to a stock market app they can check 24-7. I don't know why, because markets aren't open 24-7. Or people have a tendency to maybe turn BNN on in the morning and see the headlines that whatever, inflation's at X. That drives a behavior. So I would argue for anybody that wants to maybe change some of that behavior, maybe have that habit of not turning BN on, on in the morning or yes. CNBC or whatever it is. Well, and what James Clear talks about in his book is we talked about the first law of making it obvious, but if you're trying to break a bad habit, then the inversion of that law is make it invisible. So just don't make it easy or visible. If you've got your phone in your hand all the time, it's easy to just pull up BNN or CNBC and see what the markets are doing. It's the same way people avoid checking their emails 50 times a day. In or the social end, media. Or social media. Put your phone away, turn it off, turn off the ringer, put it in your desk or your pocket or your glove compartment in the car, and just don't have it so accessible. Thereby, you make it invisible and that can help you to get through that period where you might be tempted to do something which you've decided is a habit you'd like to break. Yeah, like I don't know why. Well, even at our old office, they had a TV in the lobby. And I remember in 2008, 2009, during the global credit crisis, and people would come in to see us and they'd wait in the lobby for our meeting and they'd always have BNN on in the lobby. So if you can imagine, well, you can imagine, you lived yeah, through it. Sure. We had some pretty awful days where the market would go up or down a thousand plus points, similar to some of the days we have right now. So a person is coming in to talk to you about their financial well-being. And the first thing that they're doing is sitting in the lobby and watching the stock market crater in front of them. Exactly. That is not a good... You'd be much better off putting on a nature show or something as opposed to the very thing that you're trying to break. Law number two is make it attractive. 
the more attractive an opportunity is, the more likely it is to become habit-forming. When you look at certain habits or certain outcomes, sometimes it's more the anticipation of a reward as opposed to the actual reward that causes the greatest anticipation, I guess, or satisfaction. So you do want to make sure that there will be something attractive in taking on that habit. And whether it's a sense of satisfaction of seeing your portfolio grow in value because of your habit of regular savings. But it's got to be something that's attractive that you get a sense of satisfaction from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's attractive to me that I get a sense of satisfaction from? What's that? Pizza. So nice. I will eat very healthy all week. And then Friday night, I will eat a lot of pizza. And I feel good about it because I feel like I've been thinking about it all week. I've earned it. And listen, as you know, and where this show is not about weight loss tips, but sometimes when you pair a reward with a habit that you're trying to create, it makes it very attractive. For example, after I work out five times this week, I will treat myself to a pizza. I think no matter what kind of weight loss guru you are, most people would think that, you know what, being a healthy eater doesn't mean you can't eat pizza. It just means you don't want to necessarily eat it every day. And are we recommending people eat pizza? Of course. <laughs> Like, <laughs> Are you kidding? Who doesn't like pizza? So if you can pair that reward with the habit that you're trying to create, then that makes it much more likely that you will do it. Now, let's talk behaviorally about investing though. So we already went through make it obvious and make it attractive, but in it, I would argue there's still a desire for many people to hold things like, I don't know, maybe they want to invest in some small company just because they like the idea of it or whatever. And it creates a dopamine effect when they think about watching that investment maybe grow when they're speculating on something like that. This isn't like core investing. This is like speculation. I would say when it comes to investing, as long as the rest of your portfolio is following your plan and you take a small, just a very small percentage because it's attractive to you to want to do that little bit. Absolutely. Go for it. Exactly. And that's the reward. In a sense, it's the reward for having a well-thought-out financial plan and a well-diversified investment portfolio. Okay. Law number three is make it easy. Make it easy. Make it easy. Now, let me get to- Well, I think that is one of the key things that when we talk about in the case of your financial plan, when you believe that you'd like to build enough wealth to not worry, whatever your goal might be, then making it easy are things like, well, you know what? Putting $6,000 all at once into a tax-free savings account because that's the limit for the year, that can be difficult. Putting $500 a month in is a lot easier. And what's even easier is by setting it up with automatic contributions so that you don't have to sit down and write a check once a month for $500. It just automatically comes out of your bank account. Yeah, you don't even think about it. That's right. Those kinds of easy steps that you can take helps create the habit and maintains the habit because at the end of the year, you'll see that you've made a $6,000 contribution to a tax-free savings account, which gets you toward your goal of being a wealthy person or your identity as a wealthy person. And it's easy. It's easy to do. I think there's a misunderstanding of wealth out there. I would argue that that person that makes, I don't know, let's use a number, $500,000 a year, but has no savings isn't wealthy. But somebody that makes $50,000 a year and puts $5,000 away per year that person is going to be very well off. That's a big misunderstanding. Like just making a lot of money doesn't mean you have a lot of money. That's right. So making it easy on yourself, I like that. The pre-authorized contributions, just putting money away systematically 
just systematically putting it away. It's like a, just a bill payment. It becomes the default option. And the easier you make the default option, the more likely you are to maintain it. Okay, law number four, and this is our last law before we wrap it up, is make it satisfying. It's got to be satisfying. Why are you doing all of these things? Why are we focused on all these habits and habit forming if we're not trying to be satisfied with something? Yes, exactly. The satisfying part comes from, I finished that book. I finished those books. I've learned a lot. I've really enjoyed it. I feel good. When you're on an exercise plan, you feel better. And that's a satisfying feeling, and that makes you more likely to want to repeat that habit over and over again because it's satisfying. That's kind of the nature of why we do what we do. We try to avoid things that are not satisfying or unpleasant, and we try to gravitate towards things that are, that are pleasant and satisfying. Yeah, I think the problem is our brain works against us because what he points out, the cardinal rule of behavior change is what is immediately rewarded is repeated and what is immediately punished is avoided. So if you view exercise like a punishment, you're going to avoid it. Whereas when I talk to my son, my son is really into working out these days. And he said to me one day, this should be the best part of your day. I was like, wow, you're taking this to another level. That's right. But with investing too, I always run into these people that, I don't mean these people, I don't know why I said it that way, but run into investors that have been scorned in the past where they've invested in a mutual fund and it went down in value. And so then they say, well, I don't like investing in mutual funds because they just go down in value. Yes. It's like, well, that's not true. It's just that they were punished for a bad investment. And so it makes them want to avoid it, even though other mutual funds might be the absolute right solution for them. Exactly. So listen, we're getting to the end here and we'd certainly urge everyone to read the book. There are some real gems in here. One of the things that they talk about, little things add up to big things. And one of the things, if you're a follower of Warren Buffett, he thinks that, and something that Einstein supposedly said is that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) When you think about the value of compound interest, and we're not going to run through the numbers now, but when you compound returns, starting saving when you're young, even if you're only saving 50 or $100 a month has massively different outcomes 50 or 40 years down the road than if you started saving later, even if you have to start saving larger amounts. And that's the whole concept with Atomic Habits is these small changes that you make now can have massive impact later on. That's the whole concept here of Atomic Habits. Now, you mentioned Warren Buffett. Do you spell Buffett with one T or two T's? It's a trick question. That is a trick. I'm going to go with two T's. But, You're absolutely uh, right. There we one go. T would be buffet. Oh, okay. Right? Well, so, all right. Yeah. And who doesn't like a good buffet? <laughs> That's right. Let's just summarize what we talked about. Small changes can have massive impacts. Good habits can be formed by following the four laws of behavior change. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. And bad habits can be hopefully removed from your repertoire by just doing the inversion of those four rules. Rather than making it obvious, make it invisible. Rather than making it attractive, make it unattractive, something that you don't want to come up with. Make it easy, well, make it difficult. If you don't want to snack on lousy food, don't keep the lousy food in the house. Buy a safe and don't memorize the combination. Exactly. Lastly, rather than make it satisfying, make it unsatisfying. So we can use these rules to create new habits and we can use them to eliminate bad habits. And I would just finish with this thought. 
if you fall off, let's say you're financially or eating or whatever, you make a bad decision one day. People that have created good habits just accept that that was one bad decision and they get right back to good decisions. Exactly. Don't beat yourself up. You are human. We're all human. But as those good habits are formed, there's less likelihood of that happening. And any decision, the pizza on Friday night, that's a conscious decision. Oh, that's a goal. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a satisfying one. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. for sure. Okay, well, that was fun. That was fun. A little different. I understand this was a little different than our last episodes, but... The book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah, go read it. Yep, you bet. All right. We'll see you next time. Next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.